What is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. You're... you are... Yeah. I'm Batman. Folks, welcome back to another episode of Movie Punditry. This time it didn't take three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. We're back a week later. It's a Christmas miracle in July. I mean, I don't know what you guys are going to do with us back so so often. How are you doing, Mr. Mahoney? Uh, well, pretty good. Being as it's such a short time, there's really not much happening there. So, I was all set to come in here and we're going to talk about Secret Invasion. But Paramount Plus threw me a curveball. Really? Logged in today. I saw they had Transformers Rise of the Beast. And myself, a huge Maximal fan growing up, which is something I'll get into in a minute, had to watch it. Not only was I pleasantly surprised, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that is the best, second best Transformers movie ever. The first one being the original. And not that Michael Bay nonsense, the original Transformers the movie. Yeah, of, yes. But of the live action stuff, this was it. The best. The absolute best. Couple things bothered me. I'd say it's like a solid. Also, it's not a high bar to clear to be the best Transformers movie. So let's get that out the way. It's not well, like okay, that's that's fair. They weren't. You're. Just, you're I'm. I, I. I'm stunned here. I'm completely stunned. It has its flaws. Didn't have a high bar to clear, but I feel like they got the job done. Like they understood the assignment. It's about a bunch of big robots fighting each other. It didn't have as many explosions. It didn't need it. So let me calm down because I literally just finished watching it. Um, you thought I was crazy. For, for uh, I, I still kind of do. Okay, so here's the thing. There is a bit of sentimentality here with me. I didn't grow up on, like, the original Transformers the same way a lot of other people did. I saw some of it, saw the toys. It appealed to me not as much as it does to other people. Maybe because it might be a little bit outside my wheelhouse. I was born in 84. I was more G.I. Joe, Ghostbusters, Ninja Turtles. Like for my for my me and like my friend, it was really like Ninja Turtles, Power Rangers. So let me get the exact date because I want to get Yeah, yeah. I mean you're G.I. Joe, then the end of that movie should have been right up your alley. Oh. Oh definitely. I just want to get the the right date on this. Okay, so perfect. Nineteen ninety six. Transformers Beast Wars comes out. That is my idea of Transformers. I get it, Optimus Prime, the truck. But for me, when I think of Transformers, I think of that really crude CGI show that came on after, I think, Reboot. And it was it was dope. So when I saw the trailers for this, I was like, oh, I'm getting my Transformers. In a live action, I was, I was, I mean, you guys listen, I don't really go to the theaters like that anymore. 
but I was in. And then to see it on screen, I think I thought they did a good job. Like that was textbook summer movie. Simple plot, decent acting by the human performers. Dominique Fishback is great. Um, and most of the stuff she does. She she did well with the role she was given. Um, they didn't throw a bunch of nonsense in it. They didn't kill off almost every single, you know, robot, nameless robot like they usually do. The downside is you don't get to know the Maximals very much. Um, which that, like, Cheetor is one of the, the most important Maximals there is, and he barely says maybe six lines in the movie. That bothered me. But for what it was, that was really good. It was a summer movie. Sit down, let them get from A, B to C. They saved the day. You know, the year that it took place, 1994, all the songs I'm familiar with. Like, I feel like they said, hey, Randell, we made this movie for you. And they kind of did. The, the thing that does bother them that they keep doing with these movies and they do it with these Godzilla and King Kong movies. We are not here for the humans. Nobody is here for the humans. We are here for these big talking robots. And if you, the more you center them, the better. This upcoming Godzilla X Kong or Kong X Godzilla. I don't need the humans. I could care less what the humans do. I'm here for the big animals to fight each other. Next Transformers, hopefully is another one. Less talking by the people, more plot with the robots. You know who knocked it out the park? Did you ever watch the um, Transformers Netflix series? No. It's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Like, they tell the story from the beginning, beginning of the the issues on Cybertron, why the uh, Autobots leave, how they end up on Earth. It's great. Um, this sort of... It didn't get as much of it as I would like, but for what we've been given with Transformers movie, this one did the job. Uh, I wasn't a fan of the guy getting a Transformers suit at the end, but okay. I'll take it. And that, that was it for me. Where did this movie miss for you? Um, well, I mean, I think it is... I think it's it's got the same problem that last night had. It's just, to me, it's just a jumbled mess. Um, you know, I, I think the... Um, the whole idea that like, like Noah is going to come in out of nowhere and be the guy who saves the day. And like, all of a sudden he's got all these mad skills having never seen robots before, but all of a sudden you put him in a suit and, and he's, he's, you know, he's Captain America and he's doing this stuff. It just, I mean, yeah, they kind of weakly planted this backstory about him being a soldier or whatever, but, yeah, you know, we didn't see any of that. We don't know anything about that. And then all of a sudden he's like, man, he is dynamite. He's just, he's just doing it. And I, I just, it just really, really just kind of, 
fell short. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I get, I get the idea that, like, okay, they go out to, like, you know, Peru, and they're out in the jungle. They're not blowing up cities and stuff like that. But it also, it, it just seems to, like, so completely undo what came before it in terms of the narrative of the entire series, you know, because there's apparently there's a government agency that knew about the transformers. And I really thought when it got to the end, I really thought when he was like inviting Noah, he's like, Oh, you're going to join our secret group. I really thought it was going to be sector seven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously it wasn't. And it's like, okay, they're doing that now. And it's like, which is, which is okay. But it's like, you know, you already have this whole mythology that's built into this, you know, your version of the story, and now you're kind of twisting all that out. Shared um, universe, baby. Uh, that and that's fine, but 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 then start over. I mean, technically, they did with Bumblebee or that that soft reboot. Right, but this this doesn't even fit in with that. And by the way, uh, Bumblebee is the best live action Transformers movie. So, I oh, here's the other thing that that really bothered me when he's about to jump out of the um plane, and they play "Don't call it a comeback." That should have been it, just that line, and then he jumps off the plane. I didn't need forty seconds of Mama said knocked you out because it completely ruined the moment completely ruined the moment. I think if you play Don't Call It a Comeback, most people, 30 and up, you get it. You know where it's from. You know L Cool J, and that should have been it. Like, it was as close as they were going to get to their endgame moment. Like, just imagine that final battle at endgame, and after Cap says, assemble, somebody just starts playing Mama Said Knock You Out. It is just like what, and I was just like, oh man. So I say like, for me, three mistakes. That's why I leave it like B, B plus. But they also, it wasn't a high bar to clear. But I thought it was good. I, I really enjoyed it. You know what? I, I I will say this too, and I liked about it. It put me in that feeling of when I was a kid and I walked out of. Which Batman movie had Val Kilmer? Uh, Batman, the third one. Yeah. Batman uh, Forever. That movie wasn't a hot flaming pile of trash when I walked out. I walked out, I wanted to go get me a, a, a cape and a cow. So, you know, it was like that. Like, yeah, someone you can point out all these flaws, but I was like, hey, I felt good when I left. And that's what mattered. When, that, when the credits rolled on that, I was like, I feel good. That that's I feel good. Like right now, I feel really good. So Steve Capelden Jr., you know, sort of by way of Bridgeport, you are right with me, brother. Um, his dad, and then I just find out like I started like to correct people on Facebook because like, oh yeah, the director of Transformers from Bridgeport, and I wanted to credit. I, like, I left it alone. His dad's from Bridgeport. Steve was born in Ohio, so we can't really claim him Bridgeport. Um, anything else on that one for you? Uh, just, I don't know, just still being, sitting here stunned, but. I think you need Yeah, no, I mean, 
I, you know, I guess for me, the problem for me is that the Transformers franchise has been just diminishing returns since day one, with the exception of Bumblebee. You know, it's like uh, that first Transformers movie was a good movie. You know, I liked one? it. The first one. Ooh. It was a, for what it was. It was, you know, for for. You know, not having had anything like that before. Um, for not having, you know, uh, it was groundbreaking in terms of its, you know, it, its effects and, and seeing, you know, these, these realistic transformers on the screen and stuff like that. I thought it was pretty good. And it's not, you know, I, I think at that point that the, the Shia LaBeouf thing hadn't like just really gotten old, you know, which it did in the next couple of movies, you know, Revenge of the Fallen was not as good dark of the moon was not as good you know but then when it started to get into you know the last two i just thought they were awful you know the uh the mark the mark Wahlberg ones um age i mean last night i've tried to sit through last night three times and i cannot sit through it it's just to me it's just that bad and then you know and then bumblebee i thought bumblebee was great and it kind of reinvigorated me for this franchise and then but then this just to me it's closer to you know last night than it is to anything i mean you know like the the problem i have with like the like age of extinction and stuff it's like they're all the same movie how do you screw up dinobots Exactly the way they did. Exactly. And, you know, that was just like, and then the last night, like, I don't even, I don't even know what that was. And, you know, I will say this. I do appreciate the fact that they kind of went off with this in, you know, their other direction and went off with, you know, Maximals and Terracons and, you know, you know, and told that side of the story. I do appreciate that. All right. So I'll give it a, a definitely give it a leg up over last night and, and, and even and, and age of extinction. I'll give it a leg up over those, but I still didn't think it was great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And, and I think part of it is that I'm, I'm older than you and, and, you know, I never had like transformers in my life when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not, it's not a, it's not a part of me. You know, yeah. So I really came to Transformers with the with the film series, and okay. you know all this old lore and stuff like that doesn't really, you know, isn't really hitting any any you know buttons with me. And maybe that's the problem. I would recommend you watch the Netflix series. Like, it is some good sci-fi. Is it is it animated? It is animated. Okay. But it is like, hmm. I wouldn't let Dash watch it because it'd be too much for an eight year old. Not violence wise, but just the lore. Um, it's a lot in a good way. And like, and a lot of it deals with like leadership and like responsibilities and what do you owe people. 
and I wish they would have got into that here a bit more because I it was like at the tip of the iceberg, but they didn't go far enough. And that has been my issue with everything in this franchise is that there's a really good Optimus isn't the cut and dry like he's not Leonardo of the like this all powerful leader like he's made out to be in these movies. Like uh, he also spends a lot of time getting his ass kicked in these movies too, which I I, I realized after watching this. And they don't do a good job portraying why that happens. Because yeah, he's he's he can fight, he's can handle himself. But he's not that kind of leader. You know, he'll galvanize the troops. He's he's strategic. I just I recommend you watch the Netflix ones and you'll get it. Um, and that's one thing I do wish from the movies that they would go deeper. But I get it. That's it's a summer blockbuster thing. I have to go to foundation for that type of stuff. But I, I for what it was, I really I really enjoyed it. And I haven't left a movie with that overall feel good. Like, hey, we just we put a nice neat bow on this and I feel good. I haven't felt like that in a while. But uh, something that did make me feel that way, which I'm surprised looking at a lot of these reviews, it didn't make some of y'all feel that way. Secret Invasion. Mike, why did this thing fall flat with people? I, I have no idea, honestly. I think maybe people's expectations are really high. I think, um, I don't know. I think, I think maybe, maybe a short series like this, maybe it was, maybe it was the wrong media for this. Maybe this should have been a movie. I don't know, but I, I don't really understand all the hatred for this thing. I thought that, you know, I thought Sam Sam Jackson was great in it. He was phenomenal. I think, you know, I I thought that um you know, I th- I thought Kingsley Benadire was great in it. I thought that, you know, Olivia Coleman was absolutely amazing in it. And I want to see a new show with her. Um with her character, but I, I really don't know. And it's, man, it's pretty vitriolic and it's pretty universal. Like, a lot of people really hate this movie and I just don't really get it. Or hate the series and I just don't really get it. I don't get it at all. Um, I saw a lot of praise for episode five. And so a lot of people say that episode six let them down. I didn't have any issues with episode six. Um, like I thought about something me and you had discussed. It could have been a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. I felt that written since that conversation between Fury and Rittenson at the end was just, it felt shoehorned. Like it felt completely unnecessary. Um, Especially with with Rittenson saying, like, anybody born off-world is going to be considered an alien combatant. Like, to me, to sit there and say, like... So, so Thor? So Thor's an alien, an alien combatant now? Is that what you're telling me? The, the, like, most of these people could probably wipe out the United States if they're 
skilled enough to get to this planet. So you just want to declare war on them? You know, that's that's what my thought was like. You got to be smarter than this. I mean, well, and, at this point, Gaia could take out everybody. Yeah. Which I, I'd like to see exactly who, who all of the abilities she has. Um, but I, I thought it was great, and I I thought that they told a complete story there. With ju- and as they did what we asked them to do, like give me some hints here and there. Let me wonder. Don't shove, you know, don't ham fist the MCU into this. And they did that. And this is what I I saw a lot of people have been asking them to do, and I don't understand the backlash. Yeah. So, so in answer to your question, though, uh, apparently in that episode, she demonstrated powers of uh, Captain America, uh, Corvus Glaive. How did she Thanos. demonstrate abilities from Cap? Uh, I, I guess strength. I don't know. Um, some of these I don't. Some of these I don't really understand. Um, Ghost. We did see her phasing. Okay. So, so ghosts. Captain Marvel, obviously. She yeah. kind of went a little binary. Uh, Mantis, we saw her do that. We saw yep. her put him to sleep. Um, um, what was Abomination. I guess she had like that uh, big strength or whatever. Drax, we did see her with the Drax arm, but I don't know really what that does for her. Yeah. Um, Ebony Maw, we saw her moving, you know, moving stuff around. Mm-hmm. The Frost Beast, we saw her with the with the sword, right? The ice sword. Okay. Um did, did she do did she do any like lightning stuff? She do Thor stuff? Not that I'm um, aware of. But wouldn't that be related to Molinaire? You would yeah, you would well yeah, but it's like the power of Thor, I guess. Um you know, Groot, right? She had she did that oh, yeah. at the one time. Um I mean, and this I, I'm looking at this list of this other stuff. It's like, like they say, like Black Panther and Drac, like Korg. It's like I don't really know what. Yeah, I don't uh, know. You know, I mean, I think people are reaching there, but I think definitely that I remember, definitely remember Ghost. I definitely remember um, Ebony Maw. I definitely remember Drax. I definitely remember Groot. Um, definitely remember Hulk and the Frost Beast. I mean, you know, that's a lot of stuff in there. Oh, and Mantis. The funny thing, though, is isn't that final battle kind of what uh, She-Hulk was making fun of in that last episode? Yeah. I, I saw somebody, like, make a reference to that. I wish Gravik didn't get killed off. I would have liked to see more of him, you know, later on down the road. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's Marvel, and he does have, he does have extremists in him, so anything can happen. True. But I, I really enjoy. I enjoyed the entire series. Very well acted. And and this worries me. Like, does does the backlash make them course correct on something that they don't need to course correct on? What's that? Say that again? Does the backlash make them try and course correct 
on something that they don't need to course correct on? Um, I don't know. Maybe. I don't see. And here's the thing: is I don't know what they're what they're doing going forward. Um. The the roadie thing is interesting. Yeah, because are, how long are we is he su- gonna scroll? Right. Are we? I mean, how, are we supposed to believe that that he has been in there since what after Civil War? Did he have the leg braces on when he was talking to Sam? In in. Falcon and Soldier. Yep. I don't think so. I don't know. Then it's to be assumed he was a scroll. No, no, I don't think so. Then he was a scroll. Yeah. No, I he was definitely a scroll in Endgame. He, no, he know, had the it, um he had the braces on at the funeral. Right, but but that's not to say that a scroll that he wouldn't have, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he didn't have him on at all during the series. That's yeah. that's I've I've for me it's if he had the braces on, he was him because he didn't wear it once in this series. So what is the explanation going to be that you were able to walk? You know. Yeah. So uh, according to according to the director, the fact that he woke up in a hospital gown and couldn't walk means that they put that in there to indicate that he was taken right after Civil War. That's so the what the director said. Yeah. So the roadie that's in, that's that's their intention. So the roadie that's in Infinity War and Endgame. And Cap and Captain America and the Winter Soldier, that's all a scroll. I don't like that. Because then it's like it cheapens that conversation he has with with Sam a lot for me. Like it re- that's really disappointing for me. Yeah, yeah. I they I think that's one of those things they need to sit down and get their message on because that really cheapens that conversation. And that was an important conversation. Yeah. As brief as it was. And then. I think I think the thing I think the good thing that does for us, though, is that that gives us a moment. It's got to give us a moment in Armor Wars where Rhodey deals with Tony's loss because, yeah, you know, at this just, point, he yeah. doesn't know that. Yeah. And then it um Oh man, yeah, that that's a bummer for me. As I sit here and look at my Falcon and Winter Soldier uh poster and, and figure, but yeah, I'm not feeling that one at all. Um I I like the show, man. I think Sam did a great job. I love the interaction between him and his wife at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have told her to put the other face back on, but, you know, you got to love people for who they are and their own skin. I guess that's the point. And I, I think, you know, 
she probably wouldn't have gone with him had he said something like that. Yeah. But I thought it was great. And so that leads me to something else, right? But what but where's he going? Go Why is that, he going back to Saber? You gotta work on that peace deal with this with the Kree. I I guess. I but, yeah. I mean, but I mean but I mean, wasn't the whole point of the problem that he left? Yep. And now he's leaving again. Yep. Yeah, you're 100 percent correct. Which, and I think that might be a bit of the hey, let now we're letting the MCU get in the way of a, a story because you see he's in that Captain Marvel trailer. I don't know how much of the movie he's in, but he looked like he was in some type of spaceship when he's uh in that trailer. When really, dude, you need it back here on Earth to clean up this mess. But, yeah, there, there's, well, I mean, that's for other stories to tell, but you got to tie up the loose end of him being shown on TV killing Maria Hill. And I'm, you know, it also surprised me too. She's really dead. Yeah. Way yeah, to waste Kobe Smolders, folks. Seriously. I mean, she's a great character. She's been a great character since day one. And and you get just, one episode out of her. Yeah. Th- that's something that they do need to address. You get the, and she and she was great in that episode. Yes. I mean that that whole you know thing in the apartment kind of stuff. I mean that's just like you really start. I really started to sit there and go in that first episode like, oh man, they're really gonna do something with Maria Hill and they're really gonna flesh her out. And actually make her part of this. And nope. Nope. Like, the woman becomes the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then at one point, um, so when Sam becomes Captain America in the comics, she takes the Cosmic Cube and creates like a Pleasantville for villains. And then when it all goes haywire, she goes to jail over this. Like, She's part of a very big arc. And I'm not saying you have to do that, but you have these characters with these rich backstories and you just they just toss them to the side like they're nothing. Like they're nothing. Like Yeah, you could have done so much with her. You could have had her be the person that Nick left behind. To run this thing. To run this thing and clean up. You nope. know, and I think you could have really had I think you really could have had some moments with her like, you know, confronting Nick and, and holding him accountable because she's the only one who's going to really stand up to him. Well, you know, her and Talos. Yeah. You know, we give DC a lot of crap, but they don't toss people away like this. No. They, they, this is... Well, and... unless you count the Suicide Squad. Yeah, but that was intentional with James Gunn. Like, I feel like they were trying to make a statement with that. But this is... And they just keep doing it over and over. And and I... I don't know. I get Feige's stance on when they do it with the villains. But... Oh, I don't know. I, I'm not... So... What we consider a flop and what they consider a flop are two different things. 
how many more of these films or projects do they get that come in to subpar reviews or don't hit the the money that they expect them to make before they say, you know what, let's put this on ice for a little while. I, I don't think they, I don't think they get very more, very many more bites at the apple. I mean, Iger's already making those noises. So or, I don't, I don't know. Or is this like Star Wars where we're never going to permanently put you on the shelf, but you're going to space this thing out and cut it back a lot? Yeah, I think they're going to, I think they're going to slow it down. You know, one, I mean, one of the things that you have to say about Star Wars is when, you know, the gap between, you know, leading up to The Force Awakens, I mean, there's a Think about how much buzz and how much hype and how much everything there was, mm-hmm. you know, before that movie came out. And now, since then, it's been just like bang, 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 bang. And, you know, so they've done a few live action TV series, you know. I mean, you know, The Mandalorian, you know, it's been, you know, kind of a cultural icon. Yep. You know, Obi-Wan and Boba Fett didn't really hit that well. I love Andor, Andor was a big critical darling. Yeah. And a lot of the diehard fans really loved it, but it's it's not super approachable for the casual fans. And I think and Ahsoka's going to be probably the same way, maybe even more so. I think you uh, you know, I'm looking forward to Ahsoka because I'm I'm really You're a Ahsoka fan. because I'm so steeped in it. And I'm watching, I'm rewatching season four of Rebels now. And, you know, they're the episodes that I just, you know, have been watching. I think I'm on like five or six or seven. You know, they're really starting to get into some of like the mystical force stuff. And, you know, I don't know how approachable, how much they're going to make that something that people can understand. You know, I mean, we have to see, but, um, you know, there's there's a lot of even from just in the trailer, there's a lot of there's a lot of deep cuts in there that you know the hardcore Star Wars fan is going to get, and the hardcore Rebels fan is going to get, and we're going to go crazy. But you know, is the casual fan going to be able to 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 get into it? We're going to have to see. It feels like uh, I I had it and then I lost it. The expectations are higher for Marvel. And I feel like after yeah, I mean, that's fair. that last trilogy, they've lowered their expectations for Star Wars. I, and, I think Star Wars, even as huge as Star Wars is, I think Star Wars is more niche than Marvel is. I think Marvel is more of a, at least the MCU is more of a mass market property. Mm -hmm. And it's expected that, you know, you could just kind of sit down and watch a movie and, you know, with a couple of exceptions, things are going to work and you're going to be able to figure it out. And you can, you know, there's a lot of entry points. Whereas I think in Star Wars, there's less kind of entry points to it. I think one of the things that's successful about the Mandalorian is it doesn't really rely on anything 
outside of itself too much. And the stuff that it does rely on is fairly generic. I mean, you know, you had, you know, yeah, you had Luke in there and yeah, you had, you know, Ahsoka in there, but it doesn't, it's not really digging super deep into um, a lot of the stuff that came that's around it. Whereas, you know, I think Obi-Wan and Boba Fett did, and maybe that's where they didn't do as well. And then, you know, Andor, you know, I think Andor, Andor also doesn't really, doesn't really connect much to everything around it. I mean, mm-hmm. it plug, it, it's going to plug in in the back into Rogue One, obviously, but, you know, it's, as itself, it's kind of a standalone story. And, you know, you combine that with really, really good acting. And, you know, that's, that puts it in a better position than I think, you know, Boba Fett and, and Obi-Wan. Um, you know, it's going to remain this to be seen what happens with Ahsoka. I mean, there's, there's some real talent in that cast. Um, and this is a character and this is a story and this is a world that Filoni created and he loves. So I got to, I got to imagine it's going to be fantastic. But I, like I said, I don't know how approachable it's going to be for, you know, someone who, you know, someone who hasn't watched Rebels or someone who's not steeped in that because there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of far out there stuff. Um, and, you know, already in the trailer, I could see so many connections back to the show that, you know, someone who's just watching it cold is not going to make those connections. Well, that'll be me. But I'm I'm still interested in it. I think I've got a decent enough general knowledge of, you know, stuff, the films. Like, I I tried to get in, like, Rebels and, and those other shows, and I really couldn't. I was able to watch some of the Bad Batch and I was like, okay, I, I saw some of that. It didn't bother me. But I do, I get the entry point stuff because I don't have the time to go all the way back to the beginning of Rebels and Clone Wars and watch them. So I just have to pick up where I go along and ask you questions. But I'm enough of a Star Wars fan that I'll watch the new stuff coming out, like the live action stuff. I'm just genuinely concerned for Marvel because I enjoy it, you know, and then we've, we've went through like the misses over the past couple years and I'm not, I, I think they can rebound, you know, uh, they can, they can fix things. I just don't, I just wonder if maybe they need to lower their expectations uh, of what these films should bring in. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm, well, I think that's probably wise. You know, they're not all going to be billion dollar films. You got to get back to that. I almost mm-hmm. think they need to reboot. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've heard start, tell, for that. start telling a new story. 
you know, and you can have it connected kind of to the MCU, but it's it's almost like you need to tell uh, like a I mean it, you know Marvel's got plenty of storylines. Um, you need to tell a new story, and you know, but isn't that maybe, what they're trying to do? Maybe, like maybe maybe start it over. No, but but everything's still connected. You know, I mean they're trying to tell new stories, but these stories exist in their current. They're trying to shoehorn them into their current universe. You know, you watch She-Hulk and there's Mark Ruffalo in there for half of the episodes, you know. You watch, you know, you watch this and obviously Secret Evasion kind of ties into the stuff that happens. And that's cool. And obviously, you know, Armor Wars and the Marvels are going to tie into stuff that came before. Um, but I think maybe, I don't know, maybe they need to take a take a look. And, and I'm hearing that maybe they are, you know, taking a look at where this goes and what do they really want to do with Kang Dynasty? And, and and it's not the Jonathan Majors thing. It's, I mean, that's part of it, but part of it is also like, like, do we want to take this as an opportunity to kind of restart? You know, almost like we thought DC was going to do with Flash, you know, when we thought they were going to do Flashpoint. You know, those last. You, go ahead. Those two final Avengers movies are supposed to get King Dynasty. And what's the other one? Well, Secret like Wars, King right? Dynasty. Yeah, it's, it's all right. If they follow the Hickman version of Secret Wars, that's essentially what it does. Because the world, the universes are on the verge of colliding, which we saw in Doctor Strange, and you know, then they get the real um, Illuminati. Which leads to uh, Doom getting—I forgot what the device was—he got a control of, and he essentially creates a new world. And there's this huge fight, and Reed and his son, because his son has the power to like rewrite reality. It's like, all right, we have to put these realities back together. And Reed makes the decision, like, I don't know where all these universes came from. We we screwed up. We killed off universes we had no business doing we tried to play god we're going to start everything from scratch and what you get is slightly altered versions of what came before um which if i always thought when they announced that and i went and reread hickman's version of secret wars that that seemed like part of the plan because the way Hickman had did it was they used that as a way to like, okay, we have way too many books, way too many doubles of books. Let's do like this soft reboot where some characters remember what was before and other characters like, Hey, this is the reality. All I know. And we move forward. And that's what I had assumed it would be. And maybe like what you said, you do go that route. Maybe. And when you, I think about what you said about other stories to tell. The two aces they have in their pocket are the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. Right, exactly. Which. And X-Men obviously is ripe for a reboot. Um, 
and you can you know, literally that, put now that now that Fox, you know, has been absorbed, and they could just re, you know restart everything. Same thing with the Fantastic Four. Yeah, they just kind of you know, yeah, we did those, and now we're going to do new ones. Yeah, you could easily just whenever you decide to do that, put whatever's going on, like wrap these stories up in a nice bow. And then just pivot on, like, okay, we're going to focus on the Fantastic Four who have a deep history. The X-Men who have their own huge stuff, cast of right. characters, none, locations. None of, which is, none of which is connected to the MCU at this point. No. Like, and there were a lot of times they just didn't even, they were off doing their completely own thing. Um, I'm trying to think of what story it was. A matter of fact, there was the, when... Cap became a Nazi. He in in that comic book, there was a line where someone was like, "What about the mutants?" He was like, "I'm not bothering them. They're not bothering me. They're the last people I need to war with." And everything going on in the X Men books had nothing to do with Cap being a Nazi. Like they're off doing their own thing because you know they've got space stuff going on with Jean. You got Genosha. You can tell years worth of their stories and not even touch the whatever's been going on in the MCU. Of course not. So like that's the good thing for them. Like they've got those two in their back pocket and can easily pivot. And I that would have completely re-energized the fan base. Like, look how people were going crazy just because they saw Hugh Jackman in that yellow and blue suit. Like, I I got pumped. So I'm pretty excited for that, and I don't know. I just hope these dudes get it together because they got. I think they still got a good thing going. Um. So what have you been watching? I mean, it's only been a week, which is interesting. Usually, <laughs> like we come back and there's been a, we've we've been watching a bunch of different we're stuff. Watching a bunch of stuff. Um. I started watching. Uh, my wife and I started watching that. Um. Lioness. I, I did see that. I put that into my next up. It's pretty good. It's it's pretty good. Um, I did watch. What else? Do I see anything? I don't know. We'll keep it a list of like what I watch on uh, on Letterboxd. Um, I did watch. I did wind up watching uh, that. Uh, they cloned Tyrone. I st- I didn't finish it. I started like the first ten minutes, and then my son won't leave me alone. It's 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 better at the end than it is in the beginning. Okay. Like, like, like the whole like the whole like first act, and when they're, you know, it's kind of like what what the hell is this? What am I watching? And then, but once they get to the point where they realize what's going on, and okay. now it gets into like the the sci fi part of it. Yep. Then it actually gets pretty good. Okay. I think I'm going to probably finish that tonight. I got a, a half day at work tomorrow, so I'll be staying up tonight. Um, I haven't... I mean, yeah, it's been, it hasn't been so long. You know, I watch Foundation, and I've been looking for other things to, to start, so I'm going to start that Lionish uh, series. And... Spider-Verse drops on the 8th of August, so I'll probably rewatch that about three or four times. And that's about it. Um, yeah, and I think Guardians drops the first week of August, doesn't it? You know I have no interest in seeing that. No, you haven't seen it yet? Nope. 
I don't think I watch it either. Um, I don't know why I just was. You know what it was? Because I originally had no interest in the first one. None. Right. I didn't see that thing till I think when it came out on Blu-ray on Black Friday, it was ten dollars, and I bought it and I watched it. I was like, oh, okay, that's all right. And then we saw two, and I liked it. Something about that series just doesn't appeal to me, and I'm not sure why, but it's just it's never connected with me. That might be uh, I don't know. Put it on when I gotta clean the house, and it'll be on in the background. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to watch it again. Um, I, I mean, I remember coming out of the theater and I kind of liked it. Mm-hmm. I thought there was they were trying to shoehorn a lot into it, but um, you know, for me, the first one is still the best one out of the three. You know what's interesting? That did well financially, right? The first, yeah. And I didn't see critics complaining about it. And I wonder how much of this, like, people harping on the MCU is just, it's just a cool thing to do right now. Because by all accounts, it did fine financially. Critics loved it. And but and that was recent. That was what, May? Yeah. And then but Secret... I... Here, here's what I think some of the problem is, is that I think I think with the MCU, it was for a while there, it was, I mean, it was an embarrassment of riches. Yes. Like, everything that they were doing was hitting, pretty much. I mean, you know, not every movie was great, but they were batting 800, you know? Yep. You know, uh, movies were either good or great, and you know the great ones were really great. Yep. But even even the ancillary stuff that they were doing, I mean, you know, they had the one shots that were yeah that were really good. You know, they had Agents of Shield, which you know was fluctuating, but it had some really good seasons in it, and it had some really good stuff. Um. So. You know, it was just, it was so much and it was so good for so long. And, like, I think if that stuff didn't exist and you were watching this stuff now, you'd be like, oh, this stuff's really good. But, you know, we're all naturally comparing what we're seeing now to to that. Yeah. And, and the quality that was and... You know, and it's it's lacking in comparison. Obviously, it's going to. You know, they're not spending the resources on it that they were spending back then. They're not, you know, I mean, it's it's TV, it's streaming. It's a whole, you know, it's all it's a whole different ball of wax. And, you know, as we talked about a little bit last week, we don't even know where the money is in this. So, um, you know, so I think I think that's part of its problem is that people are looking at like what came before and being, well, you should just be getting better. And, you know, for a lot of different reasons, they're not. What do you think the main reason is? I think the main reason is because, you know, it's gone from, it's, it's turned into like, like, like a lot of franchises do. It's turned into, like a production machine and we're just cranking out the next thing. And 
you know, we have we have a way we do it, and we have a formula, and uh, this okay. is how it works. You know, we have the machine that we put everything through, and that happens to a lot of long-running franchises. Happened to Star Trek, you know, when when Star Trek rebooted in the '80s, and you know, Next Generation came out, that was like a new thing, and they were they were building that, and then. As the series progressed, you got a DS9, you got a Voyager, you know, you got, you, they were doing films. All the stuff was running through the machine. And by the end of it, it just became, it was, it was good. It was all right. You know, but it wasn't fresh. It wasn't new. You, you had, you know, like you do with a lot of TV series, you have that initial, like, talent that, that gets it off the ground. You know, like when, like, and this happens to a lot of TV series. You have, you know, you have this, you know, a couple of hotshot writers, this hotshot producer who has this idea and they fall in love with this idea and they're passionate about it and they, 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 you know, they pitch it and they get it going and people are excited about it and, oh, this is going to be a great thing. This is going to be a thing. And everybody pours all their energy and they go and they find the best talent and they bring them in and they bring some hotshot director to come in and do the pilot and set the tone and they make this thing and it's going and it's going. And by the time you get to season four and five, it's just it's just showing up for work on Monday. You know, it's just, it's just, you know, it's just how we do business. And the, the initial creators have moved on because they're creative, right? Mm -hmm. They're not in, they're not in maintenance mode. They're in creation mode. So they move off, you know, and they go and do other things. And now you've got kind of that second staff coming in and, you know, they're just, they're just, they're just getting the show done every week or every two weeks or whatever it is. And, you know, there's a little, little shines off the apple a little bit. And that happens to a lot of shows. I mean, it's, you know, it's nothing that's endemic to Marvel. You, you know? know, it's funny you say that because, uh, so probably my favorite ESPN person is Monty Jones. And he has this thing and he always says, he goes, you know, when the children of sports franchises take over, they're almost never as successful as their parents. He goes, because when their parents, if they're the original owners, a lot of times that's how they made their money. That thing had to work. When the kids come in, the machine's up and running. It's, and you look at the Yankees. What do they always get on the sons about? They're not spending the way George spent. That thing's a, a, a machine now. They're going to make right. money no matter and, what. And now it's about and now it's about cutting costs. It's yep. about making it efficient. And, and honestly, that's not... That's not unique to movies. It's not unique to sports. That happens in every business. Yeah. That ha- you know, that happens in, you know, that happens in restaurants. That happens in car dealerships. You know, I can't tell you how many car dealerships that I've, I've been involved with. And, you know, where the original owner, the guy who, you know, who started it and was money turning, wrenches, turning wrenches and sweeping floors. And it was him and three guys when they started it. And they built it into, you know, I've got 10 dealerships and, and you know, now my idiot son's going to take over because I'm 80 years old. And, you know, then it then it's just it's just another car dealership. It's just another machine. It's just another yep. restaurant. You know, now we got to cut costs. Now we got to make it efficient. Now we've got to make things easy to run. And all the fire's gone out of it. And, you know, that's just, that's just normal for any business. And that's what happens with, with TV shows. TV shows are business, you know, and once the initial fire kind of burns down, then it's just, you know, just throwing a log on every once in a while to keep it going. Anybody who lives in Connecticut will tell you that those, those uh, offshoot Pepe's franchises don't taste as good as that one in New Haven. 
And even that one ain't as what it used to be. It's good, but it's not as good as it was when it was the only restaurant they had. Right. Or Colony or any of the other, you know, pizza places that was one place. Yep. And now it's a and now it's a business. And now it's a franchise. And now it's a chain. You know, I mean that's just that's just the way things go. It's economies of scale, it's whatever it is. And you know, so what what do you need to do? You need to either take a breath, put it on pause, go do something else, come back to it, you know, or reinvent it and get people excited about it again. I think we need to bring in some fresh eyes. And no more of these Rick and Morty writers either. That's not working out too well. No. But to be, and to be fair, that's you know that's what Paramount tried to do with Star Trek, and and they've been largely successful at it. You know, they had they they had the you know the the Rick Berman era, which is the you know the stuff from late eighties uh, through mid mid to late nineties, and you know that that was fine. But then that just became a machine, and then you know. Okay, let's 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 reboot. Let's rethink this. Let's bring in J.J. Abrams. Let's bring in new producers, and let's let's rethink what we do. Let's reimagine it. Let's re-envision it. And you know, sometimes stuff like that is successful. Sometimes it's less successful. I mean, that first Star Trek, that, that first Star Trek movie in two thousand nine was hugely successful. Oh, good. You know, and you know. You know, the, the, and the TV show, and now they're bringing in, you know, TV shows and, and, you know, and it's been, it's been good for them, but it's going to, you know, eventually it just, again, it's just going to turn into the machine. It's just going to turn into whatever. And they either either pull the plug or, you know, find somebody new. And, and sometimes that's all it takes. Like, like, like they had the same basic people who were working on discovery and then, and then they brought in, you know, Picard and it was kind of like their thing and then they stopped and they brought in somebody new you know and reinvigorated it and the same thing happened um, the same thing happened in like uh, you know back in the day in, in Star Trek Enterprise they brought in somebody new for the last season you know and and the show was kind of on maintenance mode at that point mm-hmm and, you know, the good thing about that was, you know, it was kind of, it was, they had pretty much decided it was going to be the last season. So nobody was paying attention to it. And so the creators were, do, they, they were doing whatever the hell they wanted to do. <laughs> and nobody in the studio is going, oh, don't do that. Or we, you know, we, we got to think about, you know, we got to think about, uh, you know, how we're going to sell this show or we're going to think about how we're going to do this. And I got notes for you and blah, blah, blah. Nobody cared because all the executives have moved on to the next thing. And so they had to do whatever they wanted to do. You know, and it was kind of the same thing with Picard. You know, they, they, they handed the show up to Terry Metalis and they decided this was going to be the last season. And they moved their, they, you know, it's like the eye of Sauron moved on to something else. <laughs> and, and he just did whatever he wanted to do. And it was great. You know, so I mean, and I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of what they need to do with, with the MCU is they need to, you know, maybe just 
move on to something else for a little while and oh. let let somebody else in five years or ten years come in with a fresh vision and see what they can do. Maybe we need another Iron Man. Maybe we need another, you know, whatever. One thing I, I think is a prelude of things to come. Was it just me or did it seem like the violence was ratcheted up a little bit in this? In this show? Yeah. Um, the physicality of it. It. I think, well, I think it was more grounded and more real. Yeah. Um, I felt like, oh, are you getting me ready for Daredevil? Because I've seen some reports where they are trending closer to what the Netflix series was, but with a bit more, you know, in terms of the violence, but still some MCU humor. Yeah, I mean, they probably are. They're probably... I, I gotta think that... Well, I gotta think a couple things. I gotta think that you know, Wolverine and Deadpool 3 is probably going to be pretty violent. <laughs> um, yeah, because they're keeping that R rating. Yeah, that's what they want, you know? I got to think that, yeah, I got to, and I got to think if they ever finish it, I mean, I got to think that Blade is going to be pretty violent. <sighs> Come on, man. You guys get Mahershala. And it's just... That's why people can't have nice things, man. Well, they're kind of they're kind of double damned because they ran into. I mean, and you know what? Sometimes you just need to stop and you need to look at what you got and you got to, you need to go. This isn't working. We need to retool it, and and that's fine. But then they ran into the writer strike. Yeah. Hey, you see the Emmy. Then they ran happened? into the SAG strike. You know. What's that? I say you see the Emmys won't be happening. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's not going to be happening. Um, you know, oh. there's. There's still a lot, and there's still a lot of stuff that's up in the, especially on the SAG side. There's a lot of stuff that's up in the air that people just don't know what they can do and can't do. Yeah. And SAG is not being really, really forthcoming today. Um, and like you know, so, so for instance, you have these, you know, it's a good, good example. And you're, you know, you've 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 worked in union jobs most of your still life. Still do. So yep. you understand, you know. So the WGA, the Writers Guild, like these guys, these guys go on strike like every 10 years. And they they have it down to a science, man. Like they have they have teams, they have captains, every production has a has a WGA captain, you know, and so when when the strike is called, like those guys, they're on a mailing list and they're on a listserv and they get all the info, they get all the things, they, they, they get scheduled and they're supposed to be, you know, they have them at all the events at all the rallies at all the, all the pickets. They have, they have captains there with information with, you know, they have people who are, you know, liaising, liaising with the press. They have people who are liaising with, you know, with their members, um, it's it's like their strike machine is like a well-oiled machine. You know, <laughs> SAG hasn't been on strike in 40 years. Peach. So these guys don't know what they're doing. You know, they're apparently they're not answering phone calls, they're not returning emails. 
they're putting out mixed messages. Um, you know, so, so, you know, you've got 160,000 members who don't know what they're doing, you know, and they don't know what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. Um, and you've got some people who are, who are pushing, kind of pushing the edges a little bit. You know, there was a story that came out, um, today or yesterday, um, that, you know, Brad Pitt's like over in Europe filming his movie. Jeez. Because, well, because he's making a movie about Formula One. Mm-hmm. And so the whole plan was they were going to film at the, the Hungarian Grand Prix. The Grand Prix ain't stopping. So, you know, they got to do what they got to do. And it's, you know, so he's get, he's not acting. There's no acting going on. It's they're basically out there. They're getting B-roll. They're getting plates. They're getting, you know, they're getting action shots. They're getting, you know, all those transition shots and establishing shots that, you know, you get when you don't even think about them when you see a movie. But there there they are, you know, but he's a SAG member, but he's a producer on the movie and he's working on the movie. And it's a it's a studio movie. So, you know, there's a little little kind of coloring around the edges there. Um you know, but then there's a lot of people who just don't know like what they're allowed to do and yeah. SAG is not being really, you know, can I go on a podcast stuff? I haven't, you know, can I do this? I have a contract to do this, I have a shoot, I have, you know, I have a non SAG gig, can I do that? You know, there's all this kind of stuff going on. Um, and then they drop, you know, stuff like you know, like we talked about last week where they're like, Well, you know, if you cross and you work on a struck production, then you know, you're never going to get done again, you know, and it's like, that ain't right. And, and I was listening to a couple of podcasts this week of people who are, you know, in the union and they're like, you know, that's BS. You know, you can't tell people that you have no control over these people, you know, and it's one thing if it's like, you know, it's one thing if it's like you, like what the standard is supposed to be is are you doing something that is going to prolong the strike, right? Are you mm-hmm. doing something that is going to aid the studio so they can hold out longer? You can't do that, right? So if you have something going on and the studio wants to film and they get non-union actors to go in and film, you know, to do work that a union member would do, obviously that's, that's crossing, right? Obviously those guys are scabs. Um, but if they're, they're doing stuff that would not have been in union job in the first place, then you should be okay. Is that cross? That's not crossing a line. You know, that's just doing what you're supposed to be doing, you know, but, but these guys are out and, and I mean, you know, you've been on a picket, you know how they get emotions run high. Mm -hmm. People don't think people don't have information and they're out there yelling at the janitor for go for coming to work, you know? He ain't in a union. He ain't striking. He's gonna he's gonna pay his rent. So it's it's just it's kind of a mess. Look, I support them a hundred percent. I think what the studios are doing is totally wrong. But they just SAG especially, they just need better The guidance needs to be better. They need better leadership, they need better guidance, you know, in the trenches. Um I think at the top it's fine. 
Although apparently Fran Drescher was like in Italy on vacation the week before the strike, which she probably shouldn't have done. Good job. Um, <laughs> hey, also shout is, out to The Rock. This, and this is why people are skeptical of unions. <laughs> Big shout out to The Rock. Huge shout out to The Rock. Um, you know, for donating over a million dollars to, you know, the relief fund. Now, if some of the other people at the top can, you know, <clears throat> do that and help folks out. Right. Really appreciate it. Like I said, I follow this one comedian. He's done some shows for ABC. And he's, I guess, like, now the unions are telling him, hey, you can talk about things that the studios have done wrong to you. And he talked about how when COVID was really big, uh, I guess there was a cast member that they suspected had COVID that shut down the set. And they were like, look, you should make people get separate Ubers. And the studio was like, we're not paying for separate Ubers. You guys are all going to ride together. He ended up catching COVID. They put him up in a hotel room. And then um, five days later, they sent him the bill for the hotel room. And he's like, he has, like, he's putting up, like, he's putting up the papers online. Like, you know, this, and it's in writing that they were going to cover it. And they didn't. And for some reason, it came up to, like, $4,000. And he's like, these are, like, some of the little things that you guys don't see. And he's like, and I'm not, you know, some big shot actor. I'm just starting to get roles. I got kids. I got a wife. I can't afford to pay this bill. Yeah, and that's and that's just it. And there's, you know, people don't realize it's like, like these guys got expenses. Like you've yeah. got when you're an actor, you know, you've got especially like the like the work. You know, I hate you know it's kind of a tri- a trite phrase, but the working actors, right? The guys who are, you know, they've got you know, 10, 12 credits a year they're doing, you know, they're, they're maybe a, a recurring on a series or, you know, they pick up a series every once in a while, you know, they've got, you know, they get, they get a check from the studio and, you know, 10% goes to your agent, 10% goes to your publicist, <laughs> you know, you've got to pay union dues. You've got to pay, um, into your health insurance if you're lucky enough to qualify for health insurance and then you know and then you've got and then you've got you know you've got stuff that you've got to do to keep your craft up you know whether it's taking acting classes whether whether it's coaching whether it's a dialect coach you know and and we see all these things of like the like these big stars who are in movies and it's like, oh, you know, Chris Hemsworth has got his personal trainer and he's working out, you know, seven days a week and he's eating, you know, three chickens a day or whatever, you know. Yeah, chef making meals. He can afford to pay for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh. somebody who's making just over scale probably can't afford to make pay for that stuff. So I didn't know this. I was one actor was posting like, you know, because they're they all on Twitter just posting like stuff. We, the regular guy like me doesn't know. And he said, you know, when you're shooting a series. You got to get a place where they're shooting a series. And he said, I guess it's cheaper in Canada. So a lot of series are shot out there. And he's like, so if you have a place in the United States, you still got to pay for that because you don't want to break your lease. And he was like, if you're lucky and you're single and you have kids, you could sublease it. If not, you still got to pay for your place in the States. Then you got to pay for your place out in Canada. And he says, or sometimes, you know, you try to room together with somebody or if somebody else is getting a gig out there, you can share it. He goes, but if not, you, you're trying to cover two rents. And he was like, and 
don't let the series get canceled or you lose your role because you're still responsible for the rent on that. And I'm like, geez, I didn't know yeah. this stuff. Yeah, you get you get it you get a series, and guess what? The series is shooting in Toronto or Vancouver or Atlanta or London. You got to get there and you got to live. You know, and and you got a you got a house and a mortgage in Los Angeles. You know, that doesn't disappear and go away. I mean, you know, if you're Chris Hemsworth, it does. Or, yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. But, you know, if you're, you know, just some, you know, some recurring actor who's making a couple couple grand an episode doing something, that, that becomes real money. You know, and it's not like, it's not like they, you know, a lot of times they'll put you, if especially if it's a short role, they'll put you up. Yeah, you know they'll they'll fly you in, they'll put you up in a hotel, or whatever for you know a couple of weeks. But if it's if you're a series regular, where you're basically going to be living in Toronto six months a year, you know they're not paying for that. That's on you, bro. Hard times. Yeah, fair. I mean, it's you know it's show business is not all the glamour life. That's, you know, that's the 2% who, who are doing that, you know, that's the big stars who are getting feted, you know, they're getting the big things or, you know, they're, they're walking the red carpet on the, you know, the, the, you know, the donated designer who gave you the dress and, you know, the jewelry store who's lending you $30,000 of jewelry and you know all this stuff like that that's that's the two percent the rest of them are buying their own dresses off the rack buying their own tuxes off the rack you know showing up at an uber you know so that's that's most of them you know like we like we like we said you know 80 last week 80 percent of the actors in sag don't make Twenty six thousand dollars a year acting. Jeez. Jeez. It's some it's some positive news. Uh the Burnses will be going to WrestleMania next year. Will they now? Yeah, um, so it's in Philly. And I was like, I don't know the next time they're gonna do a WrestleMania in, in New York. So this is probably the closest I'm gonna get. Now my I told my son, I said, we're going to WrestleMania weekend. The key word is we're going to WrestleMania weekend. So they, the package tickets went on sale. The cheapest package is $800 a person. Wow. So I was like, hmm. Individual seats go on sale the 18th. So I was like, all right, I could probably do. So they're like, their developmental system, they also put on a show that same weekend. I was like, we could probably do NXT. Because uh, I've went to NXT when it was in... Um, Brooklyn and then WrestleMania was at Giant Stadium. It takes like fifty bucks. So I was like, all right, we could definitely do that. We could definitely do the fan experience. Will we be at WrestleMania proper? It's still a little dicey. I'm waiting to see what those those tickets are gonna cost on the eighteenth. That's like that's like that's like all star game, Super Bowl. I mean that's yeah that's Super Bowl. That's that's up there. Yeah, the Rock would always say the Super Bowl is the WrestleMania football. Um, so, you know, hopefully if the thing is my son's eight, I don't want to put him at the 
tippity top of Eagle Stadium, he's gonna that's not worth it. Um but I think we'll have a good experience nonetheless. He'll you know go to the fan access and it's not a bad drive down there. We've got like some family down there so we'll hang out. But it, it, this is one of those like moments where I like realize, oh, I'm a dad because I'm actually doing something that I, it's not that I don't want to do it. I'm at that age where like I rather just sit at home and watch it on my TV and <clears throat> have the food yeah, I want. You got me, bro. Absolutely. Um, so it's like, oh, there's yeah, a re- th- there's a reason this guy's never been to a professional football game. I love the Packers. I'm probably going to make my way out there one time in my life just to say, okay, I've went, I've seen it. But I don't want to be in the stands cramped next to somebody. Like, they don't even have actual seats in Green Bay. They just have, like, bleachers. It's cold steel bleachers. So, and... Yeah, and it's a, you know, it's a different story if, if you're te- if you're, like, a Southern team or... You know, your team plays inside. But you think I wanted to sit out in Giant Stadium Oof, no. in December? No. No? I don't. The Packers play on the Giants December 11th. I'm not going to that. No way. I saw one game in my life. I saw the the Eagles play a preseason game. And that place lives up to the billing. I saw a guy get beat up on a subway. Because he was talking bad about the Eagles, and a cop at the end of the train just sat there and let it happen. And I remember the conductor was like, "You're gonna break it up," and the cop was like, "So they could beat me up too." And I'm like, "Wow, this place really is nuts." It's like they, if you're from the Northeast, you listen to Mike and the, and the Mad Dog, and they would just kill Philadelphia fans. No, they deserve it. Those people are different. I don't think they're normal. But, yeah, like, I've got no interest to sit in a stadium. Like, for wrestling, yeah, it's something that doesn't happen often. I've seen wrestling before. I don't need to see it all the time. But it's really one of those things like, yep, I'm doing this just for my kid. Oh, yeah, I don't mind. I mean, I don't mind being in a stadium for the right yeah. thing. But, you know, I mean, I've, I've been at Giant Stadium, the old Giant Stadium, plenty of times, you know, for concerts and stuff. But, you know, one, I'm not, I'm not the hugest football fan in the world anyway. Mm-hmm. And so to sit there and spend, like, I almost wound up going to Gillette once. And thank goodness it fell through because it turned out to be like, it was like four degrees that day. And, and then they're right drunk. Dude, Foxborough's cold in October. Yeah. I guess they're like, I don't want to deal with drunks. Like, it's, it's, no. Nah. Like, I remember just listening to Mike the Mad Dog one day. Mike said it best. He was like, you go out, you get yourself a nice big screen TV, you got your food, you get a decent sound system, and it's all you need. That's it. Yeah, and, and you know what? Mike Francesco's going to a football game. He's sitting in the box anyway. Yeah, with catering. Next to Hal. Oh. Well, that's the only way to do it. Yeah. Is if you get in the box. So, yeah. So it's like I mean I've been to big places. I mean I've been to Daytona. I've been to you know, wow. a lot of racetracks and stuff like that. You know, see that I'd like but, to see. You know, and I've been to obviously I've been to you know baseball. You know, Yankee Stadium, Shea Stadium, been to Fenway. That's an experience. Um, 
Olivet Park, you know, I mean, a bunch of places, but yeah, football's just, you know, I, I just, not really, not really going to be the thing. I'm not, I'm not going to be the one who's sitting out there in the cold watching that game. Nope, I'll watch it at home. I'll be, be fine. Yeah. I get a better view <laughs> and better food. Oh, and less and not as expensive. Well, you don't want to pay seventeen fifty for six dry chicken wings and a God. and a flat coke. It's one thing I say about baseball stadiums. Baseball stadiums have good food. They have good food. Yeah, you get you know get some sausages or a hot dog or. Does the Yankee Stadium have like a steakhouse in the stadium? Steakhouse, yeah. I had fried Oreos there one day. You know what it is? It's like going to. I mean, I've been to football. I've been to like college football games and stuff, but you know, going to a baseball game is more like it's like a social event. Like you yeah. go, like you don't honestly, you don't spend as much time watching the game as you do in another sport. You know. You, you, cause you, you get up and like at some point, like a fourth inning, whatever, I'm going to get up, I'm going to walk around, I'm going to go get something to eat, I'm going to go look in the, in the shops, you know, I'm going to go check out what's going on, I'm going to go, oh, I want to go see what's down the other end of the, of the ballpark over there, see what's going on, um, you know, and, and you, maybe you spend like an hour not in your seat, you know, and then you go back and, you know, there's a lot of that going on, especially in like minor league games. I love going to minor league games. Oh. You know, I, I enjoyed the bluefish when they were in Bridgeport. Yeah, I mean it's great. We went to uh, we went to a game down here last year. It was the uh, the Bradenton Bees? They're the they're like a Pittsburgh Double A ball. Okay. Um, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I mean you go to minor league ball. One, the tickets the tickets are cheap compared you know compared to major league ball. You're watching baseball. You're closer to the field. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a smaller stadium, and you know they're doing they're doing you know. They're doing mascot races and dizzy bat and you know all that stuff in the in the inning breaks that they don't do in the major league ballparks. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. You should take Look, uh, you should take you should take the boy up there to uh, you know, go see the yard goats or something. No, I don't. I don't want to drive. I, I hate driving. <laughs> like, well, if you're gonna go to Philly, then you should you should think about taking a train. I want to, but now that there's a new truck. No, that that yeah. that argument didn't fly too well with the significant other. We'll be driving. What does one have to do with the other? Well, she's like, oh. well, we we got this. You might as well take it, and because now it's not the quad cab. Now I have like the the crew cab. Right. She's like, great for a family trip, and I wanted to take the train, but no, we'll be driving. Oh man, taking the train to Philly is the best. I love it. I absolutely love it. When my sister went to Temple. At first, I would always take the train. Then when I got, like, I started to know my way around, then I would start to drive. But I want to take the train. But we'll be driving. So, we get out the house at 5 in the morning so I can beat all the traffic. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Because, you know, drive through drive through Fairfield County, then drive through the city. Oh, gosh. Then drive to Jersey. And then drive into Philly. I think it's going to be 4 a.m. Now, now that you say it like that. <laughs> like, I remember one time, like, I woke up. I was visiting my sister in Temple, and I think it was 3 in the morning on a Monday. And I was like, yep, I'm going to go home now. Because I don't want to deal with any nonsense. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Now we're taking the train. <laughs> Just 
just talking through it and seeing the tolls and that Jersey Turnpike, we'll be taking the train. Well, folks, we got way off course from movies. Something's cheaper. Yeah. Um, We got way off course from movies, but I hope you enjoyed this talk and the surprise that we followed up. Well, I followed up so quickly because usually it's me that throws us off. Um, And we'll find something to watch this week so we can come back next week. Uh, I got to see Indiana Jones. Have you seen that yet? I haven't. No, I haven't had an opportunity to really get out and say, I want to see that. I want to see um, uh, Mission Impossible, too. Um, if you don't know, Brian Lockhart writes for the Connecticut Post up here. He is a a, a friend, of, call him a friend of the show, uh, listens every now and then. He recommended Indiana Jones, so I'm going to take him up on it and go see it. Uh, anything, uh, words before we, we leave? I don't think so. I think we've said a lot of words. There's been a lot of words. <laughs> Thank you for listening, folks. I'm Rand. I'm Mike. Peace.